The world is like a ride at an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think. Feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Greetings, brothers. Welcome back to the Liberation Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Gregoratis, speaking to you from Tucson, Arizona. I hope this episode finds you guys happy and healthy wherever in the world you are listening to it. Today's show is very special to me for one reason in particular. So it's just very important before I describe it that I give you guys one more caveat, which is I don't want what my work with Liberation Mentor to turn into any one specific thing. I don't want it to be pigeonholed and categorized as any one specific thing. If I had to choose one broad topic, it would be personal development for for men. But there are so many different aspects to that. And I want to make sure that the show and my work always covers almost all of those aspects. That's why we talk about philosophy and relationships and health and well-being and business and all these different things. And I never want it to become pigeonholed, as I said. So somehow, I don't know how how it happens, but almost every episode brings up the mention of ayahuasca. So today's episode is no different, uh, but there's a specific reason it brings up the mention of ayahuasca. And that's because on today's show, the guest is a gentleman named Kemet Bailey, who was referred to me by one of my clients, one of the people I've been coaching for the last few months. He said to me, I'd really love for you to talk to my friend Kemet. Kemet has this incredible program called The Character Arc, in which he uses stories and tales and narratives from culture to help his clients discover more about themselves. And he said that speaking to Kemet would be really interesting to me. And I thought, why not? So I had a a call with Kemet before this podcast, and I just immediately knew that this work that he was doing on The Character Arc was important. And more importantly, I'd had some inadvertent experience with something very similar. And that was related to a specific ayahuasca experience I had. So this is a, you know, there's a lot of things that I don't share with you guys because they're private parts of my life. And there are certain things that I do share with you and that I'm kind of reluctant because they've just been such sacred experiences for me. And this is, this is one of them. So about six months ago, actually it was in April, I took eight close friends of mine to uh, a place in California where we did an ayahuasca ceremony. And, you know, everyone gets something different out of ayahuasca. It's almost always positive and life-changing. But uh, in this particular instance, my my whole trip revolved around a lot of the topics that Kemet was talking about, or t- that Kemet is involved in that, and that he speaks about. And what this episode has done is given me the ability to share uh, that experience because it, it was one of the best ayahuasca experiences I've ever had. And it, it really profoundly affected me and helped me in many, many ways. And so it was great to be able to talk to Kemet about it because it dovetailed so perfectly with what he was doing. And uh, I think you guys are going to get a lot out of it. It, it really, uh, to me, it was a profound experience. And I hope I can convey just how how incredible it was through through the interview. 
I just want to remind you guys, speaking of ayahuasca, my uh, transformational men's retreat, or should I say your transformational men's retreat, is coming up in March. It's going to be on the 15th of March for a week in Hawaii. Ayahuasca will actually play a role in this. I suppose the cat's out of the bag. It's going to be... It's going to be an absolutely life-changing experience. If you're stuck in life, if you want to take things to the next level, if you want to face the demons of your past and prepare the roadmap for your new future, this is going to be an experience that will help you to do that. I am so, so excited for this. Uh, I'm just kind of willing the time away so that March comes quicker because I know it's going to, it's just going to be wonderful. If you want to find out more, there's a very, very basic info page up at liberationmentor.com forward slash retreats. As I said, it's very limited. So the best thing to do is head on over to that page and then book a call with me and I'll explain to you more about what the retreat's going to be like if you're interested in it. It'll basically be like a mini interview because I'm not just allowing anyone to come on this thing. It's it's for certain types of people only and, and men that have a, a very open mind and that are willing to do the work on themselves to, to take their lives to that next level. So I'll be launching a new page with even more information in the upcoming future but for now that's all there is and anyway it's, it's better for me to speak with you so i can explain to you in more detail what this is about so if that's something that interests you head on over to liberationmentor.com forward slash retreats and sign up for a, a consultation call with me and i'll tell you all about it but that's enough of that for now let's jump right into the interview with Kemet Bailey and hear what he has to say about the character arc and also about my experiences in California with ayahuasca a few months ago. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Peace out. Hey brothers, welcome back to the Liberation Mental Podcast. Very interesting, unique and special guest today, Mr. Kemet Bailey, who is a successful escapee of high-level corporate life, a amateur psychologist slash uh, polymath slash digital nomad, amongst other things, and also the inventor of the character arc. How are you doing, Kemet? Thanks for coming on the show. Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. You came, uh, we're not really, uh, we don't really know each other except for a brief phone call before, but you came highly recommended by one of my clients, actually. So I, um, I'm super excited to hear what you have to have to share with us. Uh, after looking at your background, it's it's clear that you are an interesting and unique guy, as I said earlier. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you too, because when he put us in touch, I was looking at your background as well and thought the same thing. So yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, like attracts like. <laughs> so you're in Portugal at the moment, right? Yes, I am. Okay, now it's my understanding. I think you you actually mentioned this to me, that Portugal has become uh, a new hub of the digital nomad movement. Yeah, it seems to have become that um, fairly recently. And, you know, it's what I've noticed is also it seems like nomads who have been nomading for quite a while tend to come here to like settle down a little more. Probably because of the high quality of life, standard of living, you know, it's pretty great. It's, it's, it's interesting because I only have one memory of, of Portugal or, or I only have one experience of visiting Portugal and that was I went to Lisbon about 15 years ago to fight in the European Championships of Jiu-Jitsu. Mm -hmm. And I just remember it as being a really seedy, <laughs> kind of crappy place, if I'm honest. like the, It was the only place, one of the very few places I've ever been to where just walking down the street, people would come up to me and try to sell me drugs. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I don't know. It's, like it's, it's one of those things that I've learned as well is that we 
we create biases based on on very brief and short experiences and it's probably an amazing place but i just in my mind it's forever associated with that crappy trip and also got beaten up in the in the match i fought in as well so. oh no <laughs> yeah that would leave a bad taste in anyone's mouth um well you should for sure you should get back out here man it's changed quite a bit i mean i've only been here in the last few years but um the drug thing still is semi-true they decriminalize drugs here which has been to the benefit okay. of their society overall but um, don't get me wrong. I I love drugs. <laughs> <laughs> it's just there's a time and a place, right? Sure, sure, sure. No. Yeah, it's pretty great, man. Yeah, that's cool. So, you know, as I introduced you earlier, you're a um, successful escapee from high level corporate life. You you were working at Apple, right? And you had a pretty unusual role there as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, before I left Apple to to, to found the character arc, um, I was working as a uh, basically as product security manager. And so mm -hmm. the department was new product security and, and our team's role was to make sure that people don't find out about the newest uh, things coming down the pipeline before they're announced. Okay. So it was a bit of a strange role. In fact, I was one of the founding members of that team because they only stood it up in about 2014, which is when I joined. Oh, interesting. So are you the one responsible for letting that dude leave his iPhone <laughs> uh, for prototype on the bar stool that one year <laughs> more like that guy was responsible for creating our department <laughs> you know <laughs> him, him and the leads of people trying to steal um technology out of the factories in apple uh in china interesting interesting so i have a another one of my clients is a an engineer at apple and what he said to me about working there is he said they are always dangling the proverbial carrot in front of you to get you to work as hard as possible. And that carrot usually is symbolized by the next up, the next promotion or the next raise or the next stock option or whatever it may be. Did you experience any of that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, in my experience at Apple, you know, the one way they really try to keep you on the, uh, in the golden handcuffs is to, uh, just offer you insane stock options. You know, even as an entry level member, you get really good, um, stock that vests, over a period of let's say four years and you know you're constantly mm -hmm. getting those so anytime you decide to leave you're leaving money on the table basically because the, some some of your stock hasn't invested yet that's interesting I mean, that that idea of the golden handcuffs was first introduced to me many years ago and i just found it fascinating because the example that i was given is with it was either stockbrokers or like traders or, or some some financial high-level financial guys how these these guys are often earning like a, a million bucks a year but what happens is, you know, they spend 980,000 bucks a year and then they're waiting for their bonus mm -hmm. at the end. Yeah. And then they get that bonus and that's already been earmarked for the European family vacation or the a new car for the wife or whatever it might be. And so they think to themselves, okay, I'll just stay one more year till the next bonus. And they're on this kind of tread, this never ending treadmill. Yeah. Uh, and that keeps them pretty much as trapped as a guy in a prison cell somewhere. For sure, man. It really does. It, you know, you see a lot of people who've been doing that for 20 plus years, you know, and at a certain point, it seems prudent to look up and say, you know, what am I actually working for? Like, you know, why am I, why am I earning all this money if I can't actually use it? And I'm guessing you hit that point at Apple. Well, you know, I hit something like that point. Um, for me, it wasn't just about, about the money um, and about being tied down, which, you know, for some people, that's kind of a means in a, of itself is like to get away from the grind. Um, for me, it was more just mm -hmm. that my priorities and what I wanted to do with my life was not something I could do while occupying that role. And so I, I had to make the decision to leave. Uh, but it was a tough decision. I'm sure it was because, I mean, if you look at, at our society, you know, if, if you look at the script 
And for those of you listening, one of the book of the week recommendations I put out about a month ago is called Unscripted, which um, teaches you how to break out of the script that we're all given. But the script that we, we are given in that script, which is go to school, go to college, get the best job you can, get married, get uh, a mortgage and have 2.2 kids and, you know, like uh, a grill in the backyard or whatever it might be. Mm. In that script, working at a place like Apple is, you know, that's first place, basically. We've won that game. So I can imagine for you, as you said, it must have been a very tough decision. Yeah, sure. And, and you know, I like the way you put that as a script too, because it really is a script. And then, you know, it ties into some of my work at the character arc. I really do feel like, you know, you're writing a story with, with whatever you do. And if you're writing someone else's story, then, you know, it'll play out <laughs> that way. And so it is important yeah. to figure out exactly, you know, what script you're writing, what game you're playing, you know, because even if you're winning a game that you don't want to be playing, it's not, it doesn't really feel like winning. Yeah, exactly. And there's something I'd heard many years ago, but I was reminded recently by a friend. He said he spent years climbing the ladder and then he got to the top and realized the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall, Mm -hmm. Um, which I mean, I've definitely had that experience myself in in certain elements of my life. So I understand that. So was was there a particular moment where you said to yourself, I've got to, I've got to change or this has got to change or I've got to got to take this action to get me out of this or was it just a gradual building or it really was not um, a particular moment this time I've I've had times like that in my life um, particularly when I was working Mm -hmm. in China I remember having like some very specific moments where you know a voice almost spoke to me and said you need to do something different but uh, when I was at Apple no it was more something gradual it was something I had been mulling over for a while and that I kind of planned and prepared for I wasn't yeah I wasn't as, as young as I had been when I had those epiphany moments uh, it was mm-hmm. more something that I deliberately wanted to 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 do and and to do actively. So, yeah, it was it was a process. Fair enough. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. How did you find yourself working in or living in China? Um, well, that's kind of a long story, but I can shorten it down to a few key moments. Um, you know, mm-hmm. when I I was in, I went to college. Uh, you know, after high school, like most people do, and I had the same experience we were just talking about, which is you know not knowing what I was doing there. Mm-hmm. And so that was really tough for me. I was going through some serious depression and I eventually left and I joined the Air Force, um, U.S. Air Force. And so mm-hmm. uh, I was in the Air Force for six years and the job that I uh, did there was a Mandarin Chinese linguist. Wow. So they sent me to a school in California where I, I, they taught me Mandarin over the course of a year and a half. And then I spent mm-hmm. um, several years in the inte- intelligence field doing you know, that kind of work. So after that, I decided to leave, move to China. I actually had one friend out there who was a jiu-jitsu black belt in Beijing, and uh, mm-hmm. he invited me out to, um, you know, to stay with him while I got, got myself on my feet. Um, okay. But, you know, years and years later, when I was, uh, I had I'd already left China, I had gone back to school, I got my MBA, mm-hmm. I was, you know, approached by Apple um, because mm-hmm. of someone I knew, but who knew about my background with the language uh, of Mandarin mm-hmm. and wanting to, they wanted me to work in China for my first year. Also okay. with the you know intelligence skills, which had something to do with the secrecy, so that that all kind of came together to 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 create that opportunity for me. Cool. What was that like learning? I mean, before you before you joined the Air Force, did you have an interest in in learning a new language like Mandarin, or was it just 
part of the job description? Uh, well, I had studied some Japanese before I, um, in, in high school and college before I um, joined the military. Mm-hmm. So I'd always been interested in languages and I have some weird, weird tick of the brain where uh, Eastern languages seem to actually uh, stick more easily with me. You know, I, <laughs> I, took, fascinating. I took all these years of Spanish, like a lot of uh, other Americans do in you know, middle school and I was never any good at it. But um, I started taking Japanese and I really, I really got it. And the same with Mandarin. That's so great. those languages kind of just grabbed me. So that, that year and a half, your first year and a half in the Air Force, I mean, they basically, it was full, fully paid course in learning this new language, right? I mean, they took care of everything and you just had to study. Yeah, you know, it was pretty great. I mean, at the time, you know, it was difficult and you're, you're, you know, you have to wear your uniform. There's a lot of rules in the military, but um, you also have this amazing opportunity, you know, where they this for literally a year and a half, which is, I think it's the longest technical school in the military of all the, you know, AFSCs. Mm-hmm. It's the longest one. So for a full year and a half, you're not really contributing yet. You're just uh, someone that they're training to be able to contribute in the intelligence field after you graduate. So it's a very strange place to occupy in, in the military. No, no. When you when you graduate or when you finish that that technical training, were you completely fluent in Mandarin? Uh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, know, you, you you feel pretty good. There's a test that they make you take where you can you get graded on a scale of threes, and you know if you get three, three, then you're, you know, you're in really good shape, but, um, Mm -hmm. they really are measuring your listening and your reading, but they're not measuring, uh, as meticulously as you're speaking. And, you know, anyone who really speaks another language knows that's the most important element because it's the way you communicate with people. Um, so, so when I moved to China, you know, after I actually got out of the military, it was a rude awakening. You know, my reading was great. I could read everything and I could understand fairly Mm -hmm. well, but I really had to go through some struggles to, um, get my speaking up to, up to snuff. Mm, that's that's fascinating to me. I'm also interested. You know, you don't seem like the kind of person who would mesh with, as you said, the overly regimented nature of military life. And I'm I'm fascinated by the military. When I was a young kid, I wanted to go to the. I wanted to join the Israeli army um, because I just heard that that was the best army in the world. Yeah. Now, I'm not Israeli or Jewish, so that would probably would have been difficult, but I actually figured out that I think it is possible. And then one day my mother just said to me, like, you know, there's a war going on in Israel. What, what the fuck is wrong with you? Just wake up. Yeah. And I don't know. I just always kind of, I, I have many friends, especially where I live, who the many military and air force bases around here and they're in the military. And, and I can just listen to some of their stories uh, for hours and hours about, about that particular life because it's so foreign to to my life, you know, and I just, is any, any your time there, the, the six years that you spent there, what was, what were your biggest takeaways? What were the things you loved and hated? Well, um, you know, how I felt about it at the time is very, very different than how I feel about it now. Hmm. At the time, I really did not like it. You're right. My, my personality does not mold well into the military model. You know, it's a very strict organization that has a very stable, straightforward pathway to advancement that involves just following directions and doing what you're told. Uh, and being fairly hom- homogenous, you know, as a as an individual, and I'm not really any of those things naturally. So it was very difficult. But uh, I, now, you know, I look back on it, I'm extremely grateful for you know the the narrowing that it that it did for me. I, when I joined, I was I'd been in college for two years, and I was like I said, very depressed and kind of wasting my time in education. Mm-hmm. But you know, the discipline that you have to learn when you're in the military is a gift, really. Because sure. you really can't accomplish anything if you're unable to make yourself do things you don't want to do. 
And so, yes, all, so, yeah, so all those years of doing things I didn't want to do as much as I hated them really did set me up for, um, for some successes mm-hmm. that uh, happened later in my life. That's, that's wonderful. You are one of, one of my friends and training partners named Matt Blank. He told me, um, he's getting ready for his retirement from the military now, but he was telling me how, you know, I asked him why he joined, he, he's in the Air Force and he said he, his life was, was really going on like a, a negative trajectory and he was getting into a lot of trouble and, he just had this instinct that that was the best place for him to just, you know, it would stop him from being able to, to do or to continue down that road. And he said it, it, it did fix him and cure him of it. So I, I kind of get the idea, you know, when you've got like a troubled kid and then the parents send him to, to military school and part of me understands that now, you know, I always used to think that was pretty torturous yeah, and, yeah. and cruel, but I get it. There's some people who just need like a little bit of straightening out, right? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a classic story. Like, you know, someone joins the military without any discipline or structure and then, you know, they make something out of themselves. And, you know, it's, I think sometimes, sometimes those people end up staying in the military for, you know, 10, 20 years retiring. And uh, the things they go on uh-huh. to do are amazing considering where they started out. So I have a lot of respect for um, people who serve in the military and uh, the military, the, arm, the armed forces in general. Uh, and you know, sure. now in retrospect, uh, a lot of respect for the experience that I got from it because uh, I definitely wouldn't be who I am if I hadn't uh, gone through that. Uh-huh. There's a, there's a, I think he's a five-star general, or he was like a one of the man. Forgive me, I don't, I don't know. He, he was a very high-level military dude here in the states, and he became like one of the Joint Chiefs of Staff or something like that, some ridiculously high-level designation. Yeah, and he wrote a book. I didn't read the book, but just the name of the, just the title of the book. It's, it's, it's this weird kind of, I would say it's almost a gift I have whereby I can, I can often extrapolate from a very small amount of information in particular when it comes to books. Mm-hmm. And then I can, I can, you know, bypass reading them usually or often, not always, but the title of his book was always make the bed. Right. And <laughs> yeah. He, his, his whole thing was showing how that the, it's my understanding that the discipline created through the military, when you put that into other aspects of your life, it helps you achieve anything. And funny enough, it's one of the things I do now is every morning as I get out of bed, I always make the bed. It's the first thing I do. And I know he was speaking more of it as a metaphor, but quite literally when you, when you make the bed is the first thing you do when you get out of bed in the morning, Mm -hmm. it sort of sets the tone for the rest of the day. And, um, I'm guessing that's, yeah, that's kind of the, the, the lessons that were imparted to you during your, your time there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I, I mean, I, uh, even up until, you know, my later years of my life, after I got out of the military, I found discipline to be one of the biggest challenges I face. You know, some people temperamentally are um, just predisposed to be disciplined. You know, they get up on time, they, they get out, they get to work. They just have that kind of underlying structure built into them. Um, I'm not one of those people. And so for me, it's always been an uphill battle. But having those years of, yeah, having to, having to do it was just... Um, kind of just what I needed, you know, and I, I wouldn't have known it at the time. I would not have chosen it at the time. I mean, I guess, except for the fact that I did. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I totally wasn't expecting to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm happy you did brother. Truly. Um, so I, I wanted to, I mean, this ties into the system you've developed called the character arc, because I'm sure almost all the men listening to this are familiar with Joseph Campbell's the hero's journey model of, of looking at, at the trajectory of a person's life. And a lot of men, I think the military appeals to a lot of us because in many of the, the mythologies, that's something that the, the hero go, undergoes, right? He goes and joins like a core mm-hmm. group of men who are dedicated to a specific cause or something like that. So I think that's a perfect 
segue into into the system you've de developed the character could you tell me a little bit more about it sure yeah um and you know you bring up joseph campbell and he's kind of the, the patron saint of this kind of, of thinking but he was also following a long lineage of people who'd explored the idea of you know archetypes and uh the underlying commonality between stories um and then also mm -hmm. the psychological implications of that which have really changed my life in some deep ways so the character arc just as an overview is, is a curriculum that helps people with the process of transformation, the process of transitioning um, through difficult times by putting them in touch with their story fundamentally. And uh, it does that through the, a, a, you know, a study of the resonance that they feel with, uh, with other stories. Okay. But uh, one of the things I, I also think is that, you know, that's the kind of the nuts and bolts piece of it. But the way I like to think mm -hmm. of it is as, as an actual theater for change, right? Because, I think that oftentimes what we need is a space that we can inhabit that allows us to fulfill our potential or to change into what we want to change into. And having mm -hmm. a space for that is really important. I don't think we get it in our daily lives enough. And so having that as a community and as a, as a curriculum is very, very useful, was for me and is for my clients. That, yeah, I mean, that, that sounds fascinating to me. I, well, I have so much to talk to you about this because it's, as I said, this is a, a real area of interest for me. But maybe the easiest way for you to to transmit what what it's about is to me and the listeners is could you perhaps give me an example of mm, the nature of your work? Uh, I mean, obviously you don't have to give any names, but let, let's say a hypothetical client came to you uh, and he had certain issues in his life, and you used the program on him, and perhaps you could even tell us again, omitting their name of, of um, how you, you've used this successfully with a client. Yeah, sure. I actually have a, one story is I, I actually can use the name with because um, he became kind of a, a close friend and also advocate of uh, the character arc after we worked together okay. for a while. One of my earlier clients uh, was a, a young man named uh, Noe. He's, uh, he's from France. And um, he was working at Uber at a call center. Uh, just, you know, it was a good job and he was, he was glad to have it, but it wasn't really fulfilling him in the ways he wanted to be fulfilled. And so mm -hmm. he started working with me. And one of the things that I do in, in my course and in, in my coaching is to have people actually look at the stories that inspire them. And that's kind of the little unique angle that I, that I take with um, how I approach these things. I don't have them okay. you know, just dive into a deep psychological analysis or therapy sessions. I say, just look at what you love in, in a film, for instance. And so he watched uh, the movie Big Fish, which I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yes, I have about the, the guy who exaggerates. Yeah. Uh, his dad exaggerates all those stories. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, he, so he, he watched that movie, which he had always loved. And um, I ran him through this process that I've created called Smart Streaming, which basically allows you to delve into the feeling of resonance, right? The feeling that you have when you're watching a movie that you love, which is, you know, an odd thing because it's strange that you feel something in relationship to characters who have nothing to do with you, um, situations that have nothing to do with your life. But by doing that, you can figure out what is the connection, right? Because there's some connection between you and what you're watching. And so when he did that, one of the main traits that he pulled out of it, right? The thing that he valued that underlied the resonance he was feeling in relationship to that movie was uh, determination. And um, really, the, the course is just kind of an exposure therapy uh, in a nutshell. It's exposing mm. the person who's doing it over and over to the objects of their admiration, right? Because if you admire a character in a movie or you admire the actions that someone is taking, then some part of you is called to emulate that. And so by being constantly exposed to it and also paying attention to it in a structured manner, he was able to pull out not only the determination, but some of the actions, right, that are associated with that trait mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and learn to incorporate them into his own life. So long story short, he 
you know, after a few months after he finished uh, the character art course, he and I had continued talking. He left his job at the call center. He uh, started actually a small business where he was um, doing video production for entrepreneurs mm-hmm. uh, in and around Lisbon. And at this point now, it's his main source of income and revenue. And, and he attributes a lot of that change to the character arc. So uh, that is something that gives me a lot of satisfaction. Um, and it's also just really gratifying to see him uh, being able to change his life in that way. So that, that's one example, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, it does. I, I mean, uh, a couple of things came to mind while you were discussing that. The first is, in a book I read recently, uh, the author suggests that you can only recognize a, a trait in someone else if it's present in you. And so, you know, when he sees this character in Big Fish who has, the, or whatever it was he saw in, in Big Fish that represented determination, it's obviously because it was, to me, it's, I, at least I believe that it's something, with, it was a latent ability within him and he never would have recognized it and had a, a resonance with it unless it had already been within him, mm-hmm. you know, like, it, and, and one of the things I think we discussed the first time I chatted with you a few weeks ago, you know, I, I don't, I'm very wary to pigeonhole this this podcast into any one category because I did that before when it was a jujitsu specific podcast and it made me, it burned me out on, on just talking on one topic so much. Yeah. But, you know, often <laughs> ayahuasca and plant medicine keep coming up in conversations because they're such a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just wanted to share with you something and the listeners, something that I found was a massively powerful experience. If you are listening and you haven't yet seen Avengers Endgame, this has spoilers in it. <laughs> so uh, you might want to tune out for the next five minutes. But, you know, at the beginning of the year, uh, in, in spring, I was I went with a group of friends to Joshua Tree to to drink ayahuasca. We, we did like a, a ceremony. It was me and eight friends of mine did a, a private ceremony with some, some people out there. And, you know, I had just watched Avengers Endgame the week before that particular... Uh, journey and I thoroughly enjoyed the film you know I'm, I'm I wouldn't say I'm a massive fan of superhero movies but I, I do enjoy them you know I, I I like action movies and I like the general hero heroic the themes of heroism and and you know superpowers and I I just enjoy them and you know Endgame if you haven't seen it yet it's just for one of a better word it's fucking incredible <laughs> like the way it ties everything together and you know, I watched the film, thoroughly enjoyed it. Then I went to do this ayahuasca retreat and I, my intention, I always set an intention for, for those retreats or for those journeys. And, and my intention of this, for this particular one was, I was dealing a lot with self-worth, the concept of self-worth, because it's my, my feeling, Kemet, that that's at the root of, of many of the ills that plague individuals mm-hmm. is, you know, this lack of self-worth or this lack of self-acceptance. And, uh, and there was a particular aspect of my life where I needed, I really wanted to to improve my my perception of myself and my self-worth. And, you know, I went into this ayahuasca ceremony, had the medicine and, and the, the vision started. And what I've realized is that ayahuasca is, you know, people, there's many ways to describe it. And many people claim it's this or that. My perspective is that it is ultimately a key to your subconscious, right? And it helps you navigate your subconscious. and obviously your subconscious is formed by the things that you engage with, right? It's formed by the experiences that you've had throughout your life. And in, in, uh, often the things that are, that you, the experiences that you had most recently are, are most 
fresh in the subconscious, you know, and obviously I just watched this movie recently and the whole trip, which was about three hours long, was literally just talking to me through this Avengers movie, right? It was showing me scenes of the movie in particular, you know, um, how Thor's hammer, um, Mjolnir is only, only someone who's worthy can pick it up, right? Only, only Thor can pick it up. And there was in one of the previous Avengers films, I think it was Age of Ultron, Captain America tries to pick up the hammer and it, it just moves a little bit. <laughs> yeah. right? And then and, and Thor, like it, it bends to Thor's face and he's kind of concerned. That's a great scene. And it, it's, oh, it's an amazing scene. And then it's given me goosebumps now just thinking of this. If I, if I ever need to like conjure up the power to push through something in my life, I just think of this scene where, you know, they're fighting um, Thanos, Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor, and, and they're getting the shit kicked out of them. And then, you know, you see the hammer, the hammer's been dropped by Thor and it, it kind of moves and it gets like, pulled and you think it's going towards Thor, but it goes to Captain America and he catches it, right? And then the, the it pans to Thor's face and Thor goes, I knew it. Like I knew you were worthy. Yeah. He's saying, I knew you were worthy. And in this 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 trip I had with Ayahuasca, it was just showing me over and over again that scene. Like it was just saying this, it, it was it was talking to me through that scene, like saying, Yes, you are worthy, you are worthy. And it was such a profound thing for me. I remember coming out of the trip and we were, we were all finished and I just I was raving to all the other guys about going to watch the Avengers. And then I think they thought I'd probably taken a bit too much ayahuasca. <laughs> you know, so I, when you, that's the main reason I actually wanted you on the show is because this idea of the, when you, when you said to me, when we spoke earlier and you were saying how it's important or one of the methods is to watch films that inspire you or that you resonate with. And then, use that and and i find that absolutely fascinating yeah no that's uh, you know that those movies the marvel movies especially i think the avengers franchise um is really you know you talked about you know ayahuasca being the keys to the subconscious right and mm -hmm. you know the subconscious is the, the dwelling place of the archetypes from you know a, a jungian psychoanalytic standpoint so if you look at what archetypes are, you see them in stories, right? They're these situations that are so fundamental to the human experience that they're universally understood. And sure. when you make a movie full of those scenes, which those movies are, they just naturally grab people's attention. And that, I mean, that's why those movies make billions of dollars, right? It doesn't make any sense yeah. otherwise. Yeah. So, you know, when you, but the interesting thing, I think, is that the, the particular thing that grabs you is specific to you because, you know, you think it would be just generic. Everyone feels the same when they watch the movie, but that's not the case at all. What I've found with mm -hmm. working with people is that they pull out exactly what it is they need. And that's what you were saying earlier mm -hmm. when you said, you know, if that wasn't already in him, determination, right, with Big Fish, mm -hmm. then it, it wouldn't that's, him, that's great. Right. But it did. And so for you, you had that that particular scene. For for me, actually, you know, that movie is full of <laughs> scenes to resonate with. But for me, it was um actually the moment where more spoilers to come, sorry guys. <laughs> where, you know, the Thanos is fighting, you know, all of the three uh the Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor, mm -hmm. and he's kind of beaten Thor and and, um, and Iron Man, and Captain America is the only one left. You know, and he's obviously you know not the strongest of all the Avengers, but one yeah. who has the spirit, right? And uh, yes, and there's a scene where you know he gets he gets beat down, and then this like all of the troops from Thanos' army like are teleported down to the surface, and so there's literally an army facing Captain America in that scene. And he's like lying uh -huh. face down. And he the gets back up. broken. Yeah. The moment that he's, he, he's, he like lays there for a second and you're like, man, this is hopeless. But what does he do? Uh -huh. He gets up. Right? He gets up and he starts walking back towards Thanos in this. And sure. That scene sure. killed it for me. 
Yeah, for sure. In fact, the, the moment in particular that really jumps out of my mind is he gets up and he the shield's broken, but he still cinches it tighter onto his yeah, arm. Yeah, exactly. And then like, he walks forward. And yeah, I mean, there's there's so many. The moment where where Tony Stark or Iron Man realizes that he again, huge spoiler, he has to give the ultimate sacrifice of his life. You know, like um, Doctor Doctor Strange looks at him and says, like, this is the one. This is the this is the one of the many infinite potential parts and this is the only one that in which we win and you have to you know give your life and and just man that another thing i noticed about those marvel movies is you mentioned the archetypes and i understood as well after meditating on for a long time is that all the you know all the characters are all aspects of yourself yes right you know a cult is is your is your rage right and Captain America is your sense of idealism and justice and Tony Stark represents your inner genius and wisdom. Mm -hmm. And then every one of these different characters is, is a, it's a part of you. It's an aspect of yourself. Yeah. And that's why we're so drawn to these, these hero movies because, you know, they, they're reflecting things back at us. And it's something I think about a lot, you know, like one of the things that I'm, I'm pushing with my work is, is when I work with men, you know, I'm, I'm, and whether it be on my retreats or my one-on-one -on -one coaching, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help you become the hero of your own story. Mm. Right. And I'm sure your, your work is very similar because mm -hmm. man, when you come to play the human game, when you come that that's in, in the marking materials that I'm, that I'm in the copy that I'm using to, to push, push the ads for my work. I'm, I'm explaining to people that you didn't come here to just sit and live a drab, dreary existence, mm -hmm. you know, just going through the motions, sitting in the call center or, you know, doing, doing something that doesn't inspire you because that's not what a hero does. Right. You know, a hero, a hero does like another thing I thought of is like, you know, we're, we're all obsessed with money, right? Like human beings are obsessed with money. Like mm -hmm. whether or not you're a greedy person or not, you, you do have to consider money in your, in your, um, in your life and how you go about your life. We all need to make money to eat and survive. I mean, we can't, we can't pretend that's not true. It is true. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but you know, think of a superhero, right? Superheroes are never, they're never interested in money. Like it's, it's never, even the wealthy ones like Tony Stark, money isn't really anything to him. It, or it was a bit in Iron Man one when he's trying to sell the weapons, but he right, eventually right. overcomes that, you know? Right. But, yeah. But, but like, if you think of Captain America, like he doesn't, he doesn't give a fuck what car he drives or like how much money he's making or how big his house is. He just wants to do the right thing or a spider-man you know he's not like he's a he's a poor journalist he's just he's just um motivated by just doing the right thing and, and that was a big understanding for me is how like if you want to be a hero you know you can't have money be the the driving force behind your life mm -hmm. does that make sense no that makes total sense it makes total sense i actually wrote a, a blog post a while back for um for media one of these medium magazines that was called uh how to stay out of the money trap and it was about exactly mm -hmm. that which is you know, Interesting. the problem I think is that not, again, money is extremely useful and necessary, like you said, but if you place it as the highest value in your life, then you're going down a road that leads to suffering. And so sure. I think it's important to recognize money as a tool, right? It's an elaborate tool, like a house. So, mm -hmm. you know, you need a house because it protects you from the outside world and money does the same thing to a degree. But what you really want, what fulfills you is a home, right? Which is something a little less tangible. And so, mm -hmm. you know, money can't be the end in and of itself. And, you know, what you said earlier about the Marvel characters being different aspects of the self is, is, is perfectly true. You know, that's, that's almost, I mean, if you look at the pantheon of any, like, uh, of any uh, mythological structure, like uh, Greek mythology, mm -hmm. you have the god mm -hmm. of war, you have the god of, you know, love, you have the god of, you know, you have the goddesses of, of different things as well. And all of those are, are just 
like you said, the, the pieces of the subconscious, right? They're, they're, they're motivational states that can take over you. And so the Greeks decided to humanize those as, as characters. And it's, it's appropriate mm-hmm. because they are characters. You know, they have a life of their own. And sure. I think that, you know, when you said what you're trying to do is make people be the hero of their lives, I think what's important is to realize that there's always these different motivations that we have, right? We have the motivation to get money. We have the motivation to, you know, be loved. We have the motivation to succeed. And it's about figuring out, I think, which of those motivations like fits where in your hierarchy of values, right? So, sure. you know, that's why I think, and that's why I think Captain America is such a great character because he's obviously the leader of the Avengers for a reason, despite the fact that he's he's not the best at anything, right? And he's not, he's not the smartest. Yeah. He's not the strongest, but he's the most moral, right? He's, 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 the, he's, sure. he's the best. And that's why he's the leader and everyone recognizes it. And we're not surprised about that. Um, so I think sure. that says something about what we do value, not what we should value, right? Like, I don't say we should, you should go be a hero. It's like, it doesn't matter. You will respect yourself if you are a hero. So you have to do it. hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, I'm just reminded when you, when you spoke about Captain America, I actually have a, a, a very close friend who, Becoming, he's actually becoming a brother, and uh, his name is Shane. And I always call he, I call him Captain America because he <laughs> he's got that same ethos, and that he moves through the world in the same way, where he's always trying to do what's right. And you know, it, it's yeah, it's it's, it's, very, it's inspiring, very, is what it is, right? I have friends like that too. It is, mm-hmm. yeah, it is, it is inspiring, man. And just as I mean, it's helped me this this understanding of of you know, I've always considered myself the hero of my own story, right? Whether that's narcissistic or you know, whatever, however it could be negatively labeled, that's, that's the way I move through the world. It's like, I'm the hero of my own story. And it helped me many years ago, like someone who was, I thought was a close friend kind of basically stabbed me in the back. Right. And I realized that every story needs a villain, right? That was the, one of the ways I got over it is I was like, oh, okay, this guy's just, he's just one of the villains or he's the villain in the story. Right? <laughs> and, yeah. and that was, and, and also, you know, if you look at, the trajectory of any hero, right? There's always, or almost always, his fallibility is brought to the forefront, in particular in the first uh, act. You know, he, he's, he falls in some way or he, he's taunted by something like, a, like his anger or his desire for revenge. And, you know, Spider-Man 2 comes to mind where, where um, uh, Peter Parker, he like falls to the dark side or almost falls to the dark side, you know, and that's helped me as well as is in my own life is, you know, I've done things I'm not proud of and I've fucked up and I've failed and I've, you know, I'm, I'm far from a perfect human being, but then I realized, well, I don't know, all heroes go through that as well, you know, and, and that's helped me very much too. Yeah, no, it's, it's really important to recognize that I think for, for people, because we get down on ourselves, you know, and you say, well, I'm not good enough. Right. And you already think that because you've had a lifetime of, of having those thoughts kind of um, circling around in your brain. But then mm-hmm. at a certain point, you know, you have to say, well, what do I do? And, and the only answer, right, the only way you can move forward is to try to be better, right? Because anything else that you mm-hmm. do is going to make you suffer. It's going to make people around you suffer. It makes your life worse. And so, like you sure. said, you know, if, if, if it feels narcissistic to say who, you know, I'm the hero of my, of my own life, I think that I would frame that a different way. I would say that if you're not being the hero of your own life, then who is? Right. Because, sure. because, you know, you're the, you're not the main character in your story, then who's writing the story. And, and if you don't know yeah. the answer to that question, then it's, it's worth thinking about, I think. Yeah, definitely. Oh, Kemet, what a, what an interesting and cool guy you are. There's, I think there's very few people that I know that, that could have taken that conversation to that place and, and kept it there um, with me. And, and I, I thoroughly appreciate you for being able to do that and, and sharing your wisdom. Um, Thanks man. You too.
Yeah, I've been wanting I've been wanting to talk about this this particular thing, like the hero's journey, and and uh, and in particular that what happened to me with that that Avengers film. But uh, it's never been the quite the right guest on the show that I, I felt I could share it with. So thank you for that. Oh, no, really, really happy to be here for it. For sure. Like your your I think this this the work you're doing with the character arc could be very very beneficial to anyone listening. And if they if they want to find out more about that, how would they do that? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the, the website is thecharacterarc.com. And there's a lot more information on kind of the, the offerings that we have there and links to the blog. Um, by the way, that's ARC, A-R-C, not A-R-K. And then uh, honestly, if people are interested in like this kind of conversation, which um, I, you know, I know you are, and it's, it's one of my favorite things to do, right? Have these kind of conversations with people mm-hmm. like yourself who are as interested as I am um, in these subjects and, and not just in the subjects, but what they can mean for us, like in practical ways for our lives. Mm-hmm. I also have a podcast myself that's called uh, the Character Arc Podcast. And it's, you know, available wherever you listen to podcasts. So those are really the, the two best places to, um, to reach me. We also are on Facebook. So, you know, there's a Facebook page where all my updates come out to the character arc. Excellent. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be first in line to, to go listen to that now. Um, okay, my man, thank you very much for your time and uh, a thousand blessings on you. Yeah. Hey, man, thank, thank you very much for having me on. And also for, you know, everything you're doing with this podcast and, um, you know, your work at, um, at Liberation Mentor. Mentor. I, really, uh, I really appreciate all of it. My pleasure, brother. Yeah, I'm so glad I was able to share that with you guys. And Kemet really helped me to to get the word out and, and explain that experience and relate it because his work, as I said in the beginning in the intro, was a perfect counterpart for this or a perfect sounding board for, for what I went through. So it was just wonderful for me able to be able to share it with you guys. You know, the more I, the deeper I go learning about life and learning about myself and, and becoming a happier, healthier, more integrated human being, the more I realize how important this idea of self-worth is. And it's tied into so many things, in particular, what we put up what we put up with from other people and what we accept from the world, right? When you have a low self-worth, you tend to accept poor behavior from people and you tend to accept second best from the human experience. And I think that uh, it's, one of the, it's one of the ways you can get a, a huge bang for your buck in the, the realm of, improving the quality of your life. And that's by going directly to that root cause, which is self feelings of self-worth or addressing feelings of self-worth. And uh, that experience I had has just helped me with that on such a huge level, you know, and uh, around the time that happened, I had that experience. I was, um, I was arguing with a specific friend. I wasn't really arguing with him. We just had a a disagreement about ayahuasca in particular. And and, uh, he was, telling me how, uh, you know, I shouldn't be putting, I shouldn't be promoting it on my show because he told me about one of his friends, friends had a bad experience with it or something like that. And I was really struggling because I, it was someone whose opinion I valued a lot. And, uh, but the thing is, I already know ayahuasca is and plant medicine in general, and they're important tools and they're important for humanity at this stage in our development. And they're important for men in particular who especially in our in our modern world you are feeling increasingly isolated and increasingly stressed out and plant medicine can really help when used properly and when respected and when approached with caution and and reverence and sanctity and it kind of got to a point for me where uh, with this particular friend if it was going to be me uh, my, my friendship with him or my support of ayahuasca like that's what it came down to i had to choose one or the other um to a large degree and the truth be told like uh, i wasn't prepared to to compromise on my stance uh, 
about ayahuasca because that's how strongly I believe in it, you know. So I basically lost a good friend over it. Um, but the truth is, or the important thing is I, I stuck to my ideals, you know. I, I, as I always say, I really believe that's such a powerful, important medicine. And uh, I'm just glad to be able to share it with you guys without having to worry about anyone judging me for it because, you know, I believe in it. Anyway, guys, I hope you enjoyed the show. And I'll be back in a week or so with another cool guest talking about some other cool stuff. Until then, love and light.